Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to one of the 10 best English language podcasts about Fiorentina on the internet. Welcome to Viola Station. Hello all you Viola fans, this is Mike and Tito back again for another Viola Station. Somehow back for a sixth. I'm not exactly sure how they keep letting us back. Tito, what are your thoughts? No one has been able to break into the bunker, although there have certainly been efforts, so the broadcast will continue. That said, six seems like a very large number. I don't have enough fingers to count that high. So, Mike, you will be in charge of counting from here on out. I'm good on fingers. By the time we get to toes, that's where I'm, that's where I'm stuck. So, <laughs> you know, we're good through another four of these. And then that's it. It's been pretty impressive seeing how many people have been listening to this, apparently, or how few people have been listening a whole, whole lot. Either way, thank y'all, everyone. It's been a real pleasure to make these for you, and we've enjoyed it very much. We're still getting the hang of it, so bear with us. Hopefully, they will get better. They can't get worse, so we got that (laughs) going for us. No doubt. Hey, speaking of getting worse, Mike, what are you drinking today? Uh, not what I am drinking. What I wish I could be drinking is definitely something with alcohol. Uh, just drinking some water. Today was definitely one of those days where you wish you had not just a little bit of alcohol, but a lot. Both boys were a little bit rambunctious today. My daughter, whose four-month-old birthday was today. Mazel tov. Mazel tov. Uh, I think she's teething, which is never oh. an easy time. So, yeah, we're going through that. Oh, boy. Everyone, send Mike a bottle of grappa. He needs it more than you do. I certainly do. What are you drinking, bud? I'm drinking a Boulevardier in honor of all of the Francophone Fiorentina players we will be discussing later in this episode. 
That is awesome. Graduating from the Hamron, I see. Sometimes you got to uh, move into Western Europe from Northern Europe. And I think we're very comfortable doing that. Yeah, I used to be an old fashioned kind of guy. But then my wife, one of our first dates introduced me to the sidecar, which I fell in love with. Love the sidecar. Good choices all around. After that jaunty intro, we're going to go ahead and veer into something a little bit less frothy here. And that is at Viola Nation and Viola Station. We haven't really at all mentioned this over the past weeks, months, but we feel like we can't really not say anything at this point. So we're going to go ahead and put it out there for everyone. Viola Nation, Viola Station, everyone behind these platforms fully supports Black Lives Matter. We are all fully opposed to the systemic oppression by police, governments, and any power structures of Black people or people of color. You know, these structures are extremely pervasive in our culture across the world. We at Viola Nation, Viola Station, we're not perfect. We mess stuff up a lot of the time that we could do better on. We want you to know that we do want to do better. Please let us know where and when and how we can improve because that is something that's really important to us. We've always tried to embody those ideals that are on the website and just looking at everything that's happening right now, neither Mike nor I felt comfortable not saying anything. And so here it is. We're sorry it took so long. But also at this point, there is no way that anyone cannot support this. Now, very, very well said. You know, this is not certainly an easy conversation or topic for anybody to discuss, but it's one that I think we all have to get past the uncomfortableness of it and just have it and have it open, honest, often. You know, I think that we do have a unique platform here and it's no longer the power of the pen power of the keyboard i guess is what you want to call it where we can call out a lot of these injustices as they happen in real time now and you know maybe globally i think they're opening up to it a little bit more as well uh, as we are here in the united states but one way or another you know we have to be on top of it as fans of this club i think we could take pride in knowing that we are fans of a club of an ownership structure under Rocco Camiso. You know, since Rocco's been here, he's been nothing short of vocal. He's been nothing short of honest. And he's been at times very heavy-handed. I'll go back to the Atalanta game where Fiorentina traveled up to Atalanta and Dalbert was racially accosted up there. After that game, Rocco was very, very angry, released a couple comments directed towards the fans there. And after that game, he got in touch with you and, and me here at uh, Viola Nation. And uh, I remember taking that call, and I was going from one sales meeting to another on, on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. One of his people told me it was, it was very important that this goes out urgently. Uh, I had to go out right away. I said, listen, if Rocco wants it to go out right away, I will pull over on the turnpike and, and I will get out my computer and we'll get it out there. As I was opening it, I was honestly thinking, like many of the situations before, that Rocco was going to backtrack a little bit. You know, you see people who in the emotions get very harsh in their criticism. And then when they have a couple, you know, minutes, days, weeks to think about it, they, they say, okay, you know, I need to take that back 
because it's not good for me politically. When I actually got to take a look at the message, Rocco did not take back anything. And I wouldn't even say he doubled down. Like he went down four, five, six, seven, eight times. He attacked the fans, the ownership structure, the leadership, the coach, the infrastructure inside of Serie A. He expanded that outside of what just happened in Atalanta to the overall racial issues that happen in Italy, whether it's from the races or the geographies in that area. And he even took it a step further and called out his own ultras in Florence to be better when they're approaching this. You know, he expects his fans to be in his image and his image does not accept that. You know, he told a couple stories of his time back in high school in New York City and at Columbia and, and even compared his Columbia team to the United Nations that he had players from eight or 10 different countries, which is very unusual during that time. But that was a time that very much molded him as a man. And you can see him as, as being willing to take that up for a lot of people because of those experiences. And I respect the hell out of him for it. So I think he said it very well as far as our stance here. We are going to commit to always call out injustice where it is. We'll certainly report on it when it needs to be happening. And please let us know if we're not doing a good enough job of it because we're learning as well as everybody else. And just to throw out there too, we know that Fiorentina fans are not perfect. There was an incident with a few fans racially abusing none other than Alfred Duncan in a game against Sassuolo earlier this year. And the fact that he has now joined the club and has been excellent as he could be both on and off the pitch, gave an interview detailing his experiences with racism in Italy, which there is no shortage of racism in Italian soccer now or ever. Just to reinforce what Mike said, we're not perfect. We want to be better. We're trying. Please help us and please be patient with us. Okay, that wasn't fun, but I think it was necessary. Absolutely. And there's no easy way to transition, so... Yeah, we're just going to go ahead and jump into transfer rumors, even though it feels kind of gross to even put these two things next to each other. But we're not good enough at writing podcasts to transition this better. So sorry, everyone. And here we go. Rumor number one, Mike, that we are reporting on on the uh, webpage right now. You can go check it out at Viola Nation. It sounds like... Eric Pulgar is wanted by Sevilla and West Ham. What are your thoughts there? It definitely is interesting. And I think that you covered it very, very well from the standpoint of Amrabat coming in, having him and Duncan here, and maybe Pulgar is now a redundancy. And I know we covered this last week on our podcast. I do believe Castrovilli, Amrabat, and Duncan are your starting three in a three-man midfield. That is a very, very good, promising midfield to move us forward. I think that we're honestly a year away from needing depth on the bench at midfield. If we can get to the Euros, that's when we need the depth. But it would make me very upset if we had to sell Eric Pulgar to, to just maybe finance something else. If that money went somewhere and was reinvested, sure. But I think that, you know, from from a midfield standpoint, it would be very nice to see Eric Bulgar there as an option. Man, Mike, that's pretty much exactly what I was going to say. Dang it. 
yeah, just adding on to that, I guess, I don't see any reason for Fiorentina to sell him anytime soon. I mean, he cost 10, 12 million from Bologna this past year. Bologna are going to get a cut of any future transfer fee paid for him. So it would have to be a really big offer, I think, probably in excess of 20 mil to pry him away just on purely financial terms. In terms of fit on the pitch, yeah, you're totally right. He may not be quite as suited for that midfield trio with Castrovilli and Duncan and Amrabat, but having that that fourth midfielder who's really good can come in and hold it down and really add something different instead of desperately keeping the wolves at bay is the kind of thing that good teams have to have. I really hope if this is true that Pulgar is willing to stick around and fight for his spot. And also, I cannot let go of the idea of an Amrabat Pulgar midfield just bulldozing the middle 80 square yards of the pitch for 90 minutes at a time and leaving opposing midfields wily coyote pancaked into the dirt and letting Gaetano Castrovilli wreak absolute havoc going forward. I don't really buy that he's going to leave. If he does, I think it'll be for a huge gain of cash that will probably be reinvested into that spot again. But it's hard to imagine where the club could find that kind of quality for that kind of money. It just it doesn't quite add up to me. What if they bring in Tenali? Use that twenty million to bring in Tenali. Ooh boy. A Tonali Amrabat Castrovilli midfield would be something that you make on FIFA twenty when you slide the financial difficulty down <laughs> to rookie. Yeah. So I kind of like the idea, but I'm not even letting myself dream about that. Well, while we're talking about midfield reinforcements, it's probably worth mentioning Marco Benassi. Maybe he was listening to our episode last week where we said we weren't sure where he fit in this team next year. But he released a statement to the media saying that he fully intends to stay in Florence. He's very excited about leading this club to Europe, basically saying everything you want to hear him say, that he wants to fight for his spot and really add something to the team. And good for him, right? Theoretically. Uh, on this topic, <laughs> Petzela, Malinkovic, we'd love to hear from you guys too. So just <laughs> take our, take our, our message and, and put out a message so we can then comment on it next week. You know, where does he play? Where does he slot in? I don't know. I, I really don't know. And that's that's my concern. We talked about it with Aguadello and, you know, being young and needing to get some playing time. He's going to take Benassi's minutes. So is Benassi going to be willing to be that guy who plays one three games for 20 minutes? Maybe he has grown to that level. But he still is very young. We talked about it. He looks like he's 29 or 30. Not that he looks at, but, you know, you, you would think that from how long he's been in Serie A, he's still young. And I would think at this point he would want to go somewhere where he has the opportunity to impact it. But you and I both know the ultimate equalizer here is the city of Florence. How Ooh. easy is it to fall in love with that beautiful city, especially for people that have families? Nailed it. Mike, on fire today. Dang it. Yeah, that I got nothing to add. With transitioning in. So what did Benassi say today? He would love to play with? Domenico Berardi. Yes. At this point, we probably need to add Berardi onto the list of guys who are linked to Florence. Every transfer window. So him, Rolando Bianchi, Pedro Obiang, probably a couple others. 
Obi-Wan. Don't at me with your Andre Duda takes, please. <laughs> the thought of Berardi coming to Florence is, as it has always been, very interesting. He's a good player. He's really picked himself back up after a couple of lost years at Sassuolo over this past season. He's been fantastic. Really one of the better attackers in the league. Another guy who I always forget how young he is. He's what, 20, yeah. 24 now? 25? It seems like he's been on the scene for so long. Again, it's tough to see where he fits in given how crowded the forward situation is in Florence right now, unless one or more people leave. There are certain rumors that make his arrival a little more likely, not so much on the playing personnel side, but maybe talking about people prowling the sidelines. Boom, another flawless transition. Mike, back to you. So you did the article last week on uh, Deserbi. Seems like there's a couple rumors out there right now where Fiorentina has been spiking some money into somebody's pockets that could transition into a new coach. I would not be necessarily sure, based off of what we know about Rocco, that Rocco would sanction these kind of conversations behind the scenes yet. Rocco has been very vocal that he allows people to finish things out. Uh, He likes to give people the opportunity and who knows, maybe Beppe only had this half of the season and that was part of the deal going into it. It certainly wasn't delivered to us that way. So what do we know at this point? Not much, but we have rumors that Deserby has uh, a contract being offered to him by the club. We have Chiesa potentially leaving the organization and we have, Domenico Berardi, who's now being discussed as coming into the club. Those three things, in my opinion, have to be connected to each other. If one happens, it's very likely that all three would happen. Unfortunately, we don't have video, but if you could see the corkboard we have up right now with photos and thumbtacks and colored string tying all of these theories together, you would be really impressed with how hard we're working on this. Don't start talking those things or my wife will get very excited. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> right now, it's it's so hard to believe anything what's going on. No one knows. Everything is just in such a state of chaos in Serie A and soccer and, you know, the world. We have heard, I think, from a local Sassuolo paper that Fiorentina have offered to Zerbi, what was it, a 1.4 million euro salary for three years, which is a pretty good offer. Maybe it's just for a right of first refusal on him. We don't know. But it seems likely the dominoes are going to start falling here in the next few weeks and we'll have a much better idea. So until then, let's go ahead and talk about something really stupid, which is not what we ever do on this podcast. AC Milan, or any number of other clubs, but I'm going to go with Milan because they're funny to make fun of. Want to buy Bartomeu Dragovsky? This is stupid for so many reasons. Would you like to line out, say, a half a dozen of them for us, Mike? So in preparation, just to give full context of why we're having this conversation, you and I had a conversation here as we were preparing. We talked about should we include this or should we not? It's out there. There's speculation. Dragowski to AC Milan. People are then talking about LaFont coming back, Fiorentina paying to break that loan early, and, and then LaFont coming back and, and being the goaltender in, in, in Florence. That Ooh, makes boy. absolutely no 
sense whatsoever. On fundamental principles, Drogowski leaving, unless he says that he's not happy, which clearly he's enjoying himself very much in the city of Florence, he's not leaving. He's here to stay. He's, he's enjoying himself. Yeah, he did come out and said he enjoys the attention of AC Milan. But did you hear him say he wants to leave? No, he actually said he wants to stay. LaFont is not coming back to Florence, people, nor should he. Let him go get the attention of many other big clubs out there and let Fiorentina cash in on that player as well. End of story. Bart is, I think, one of the top five, top three goalkeepers in the league right now. Yeah. He's so hot right now. There's no reason that Fiorentina are going to ship him out for anything less than Kylian Mbappe in a straight swap and then maybe some cash coming into Florence too. So yeah, let's just go ahead and drop that. God, that's so stupid. We can pick back up though with another Fiorentina player whose name starts with a D. I know you're all going through the squad list in your head. (laughs) Dalbert. Sounds like the club is willing to extend his contract for another year, get that loan, run it back. He's been pretty good, again, for Yakini. Why not? Although getting all the details right, figuring out how that corresponds with Cristiano Biraghi's future. What do you think, Mike? Is that, is that likely to happen? This was one of those situations that when we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, absolutely scared me. And it's the Baragi aspect that scares me because once he comes back here, are we going to offer him an extension or are we just going to send him on loan? So the idea of, of any capital gains are going to be certainly minimized by what's going on at this point. Would I like to have Delbert back? Sure. I, I don't mind him as a player. I think he's, he's put in the effort. He's uh, made some good runs. I'm sure he's made some mistakes, but he now has the drive. He, he has a lot of uh, great energy and, and seems to fit well with inside the city of Florence. So if that was the idea that he's going to stay here, I'm fine with it. Especially with Frank Ribéry coming back, that triangle between him, Dalbert, and Castrovilli at the start of the year was really the only bright spot in the otherwise miserable Montella stint. So I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, if Dalbert can come back on loan for another year, great. It means that the club no longer has to address that roster spot, could focus resources elsewhere. And, and that brings up, so that brings up a very good point. If Dalbert is retained on a extension of a loan, where then do we go and upgrade this team? Is there another spot that you can identify that we would then go and spend some cash to upgrade one player for another one? Oh boy. Maybe in defense, maybe an upgrade on Martin Cáceres, who has been fantastic this year. This is in no way a referendum on his play, but he is a little bit older, you know, at the ripe old age of 32 or whatever it is. And he does have a very lengthy history of injuries. And so relying on him in the long term feels dangerous. That said, with Igor or Igor Julio, our man of mystery, and Luca Ranieri, both perfectly suited for that left side of a back three. I really don't know. Maybe you try to grab another central midfielder, especially if Pulgar leaves. Maybe you just pull a Corvino and buy three dozen Balkan teenagers with the assumption that 
a few of them are going to work out and be stars. I have no clue. Yeah, that's that's the only thing that as I was looking at this rumor, I was thinking about as as we've been going through these conversations, I have really identified that. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Position as the opportunity for potentially getting better at. And I'm not saying that Dalbert isn't a guy that we can roll with next year and be a very good team because we can. But I thought that that was definitely an area of opportunity that we could take a look at. And, and just one player for one player on that starting 11 would be uh, potentially uh, able to go out there and upgrade it. It really does go to show you how much quality there is in the Fiorentina side right now. It's just a matter of figuring out how to put it all together. Yep. Frankly, I think Yakini's probably up to the job. And if the club decides to go in a different direction, I am very confident they will pick someone else who can do it too. Moving on to our next segment, we have talked about goalkeepers, central defenders, wingbacks, midfielders, and now we're doing forwards. As a quick note for all of you playing along at home, we are including a lot of guys who are more wingers than strikers in this, and there are two reasons for that. One is that in a 3-5-2, the wingers generally do play as strikers, The second is that we want to go ahead and get this rundown of the roster over so we can move on to some different type of content. And so we're just going to cram it all in and make it happen. You got to start with the main man. Mike, give us a little bit to work with here. Federico Chiesa. How can you not love this kid? I think the only negative that I've seen from him is just that he has not yet come out and said he will renew his contract with Fiorentina. I mean, everything that he has done here has been the consummate professional. I still remember the moment where he scored and ran down his brother with the with the ball and gave it to him. So so memorable, such a such a great experience to watch live, and it definitely stands out. Yeah, you know, I think back to when Rocco took over the club and he made that promise to the to the young childs in the uh, Meyer Hospital in in Florence. Said he will not sell Federico Chiesa. You know, maybe we could have gotten a hundred million for him last year, and maybe now we're looking at that sixty to seventy million range. But I still think that that was the right decision. I still think Rocco had to come in here and prove his worth to the fans. And the worst thing he could have done was was have a Baggio moment. You cannot sell your best player as the first thing you do inside of this club. Flash forward a year, I still would love to see Federico renew. With Florence, I'd love for him to commit himself to this club, to the Viola Colors, but I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen. Anytime that you're having the likes of Inter Milan, Juventus, Man U, Chelsea chasing after your name, rightfully so, you should give that some thought. Any person who grew up in Florence and has a father who played for Fiorentina should never give thought to Juventus ever. Hey. But, uh, you know, taking a look at Inter Milan, Man U and Chelsea, I mean, listen, Man U and Chelsea, I'm not a Man U fan. In my opinion, I cheer for three teams. I cheer for Fiorentina, 
and any team that plays Juventus and Man U. Um, <laughs> so, listen, you, you have to take a look at those clubs, though, and I'm sure he can get a, a lot of money, but Rocco's not offering him just some peanuts. He's offering him some serious cash to extend his, his contract with, and that's an opportunity for him to extend his contract in a city that he loves and obviously a city that loves him. Talk about Bandietta, like, dude, just do it. Extend it. Make us all happy, please. That is all spot on. I would add, too, that when you're 22 years old, you've got 17 caps already for your country. This year, Fede's got 26 appearances, 7 goals, 5 assists. Also worth noting that Fiorentina have lost every game they've played in which he has not featured, which has to mean something. Mm -hmm. I do think, too, from a player's perspective, though, that moving to Juventus, I don't know if Sarri's philosophy suits him. He would also be stuck behind a bunch of other players fighting for minutes. For Inter, they're talking about him as a Lautaro Martinez replacement. They're completely different players. And asking Fede to step into that kind of role, I frankly don't think he's very well suited for that. We've seen that he's adequate as a striker, but not great. I think he's much better working in those wide areas. And then at Chelsea, same thing. There's a lot of wingers there. And then at Man U, it's just chaos there. I mean, stylistically, maybe it fits him more. He likes having that space to attack behind. He likes moving fast, making quick decisions. He's not as good in intricate possession play. I think you're completely right that he has a chance to stay in Florence, to be the centerpiece of this team. Not very many players are 22 years old and can look at a team that's already spent as much as Fiorentina has in a January window and then have the owner and the management say, hey, you're the centerpiece. You're the guy we're building around. We're going to make this about you. If he wants that big move to one of the traditional Champions League challengers later in his career in a couple of years, I think that actually does make sense if Fiorentina aren't there at that point. But right now, I'm not sure he's ready for that step in terms of playing style. I don't think any of the clubs that he's been linked to are good fits. And finally, he's our Fede, and I really don't want him to go at all. No doubt about it. I'll make... One last statement just on my end here, and um, in my honest and very humble opinion, if he leaves, it's not for lack of ambition of what Rocco Camiso is bringing to this club. If he leaves, it's lack of ambition for what Mayor Nardella is allowing this club to have, or more importantly, not allowing them to have. The fact that we're now a year into this, we still have no direction on the stadium, the mayor has not been able to find any solution. There's a lot of speculation. And just as he's been doing for certainly this past year, but even going back years before that, there's been a lot of just rumors he's putting out there on his own of what he's looking into and all have no fruition whatsoever. So if Chiesa leaves, it's because there is not a future that is solidified by us having a stadium within the next three or four years. If Chiesa can see that there's going to be a stadium being built in the next three or four years, I think he stays. He sees what Rocco's willing to put into this club, and he loves who Rocco is. Like, they get along very, very well. But he does need to see a commitment, and that commitment can't come from Rocco. It has to come from the city, the, the, the people inside of uh, Palazzo Vecchio. Get it done. 
that is such a good reminder of how interrelated all of these things are and how complex and intricate and probably too advanced for a couple of bozos one of whom is sitting in a bunker and the other of whom is in a very nice house to discuss on the internet so we're not going to discuss it anymore instead we're going to discuss and i looked up how to pronounce this correctly dushan vlahovich 20 years old 26 appearances for fiorentina this year eight goals two assists a whole lot of really spectacular spectacular moments, huh? He just doesn't do boring at all. Not at all. I've never been shy about this. Dushan, he's my guy. And this goes back to when I got to meet him in in the Bronx back in uh, July of last year. He's just amazing. You know, took the time to to take a picture, say hello. A lot of other players didn't. And, and he was a very humble guy and he comes across that way all the time. Now let's just take that a step forward. The next time that I saw him, well, three times later I saw him, was in a game against Inter. And he was not humble. He was not kind. He literally ran down the field and blasted one right past the goalkeeper to tie that game and give me the greatest moment that I've ever had at a sporting event. Easily. I know that there's now rumors of, of Juventus potentially putting on a 25 million euro offer. Go away. Go away. He's already said that he wants to stay here. And I think that he's found a city that he's in love with. I think the fans and he have had an interesting relationship. I think now we're getting to the point where everybody appreciates the work that he puts in and what he is also getting out on the field. I think that that relationship is going to continue to grow. The best thing that I see, though, is he's willing to put in the effort to make that relationship better. He knows that it falls on him. He puts that weight on his shoulders, and he wants to go out and earn the love of this city, earn the love of those fans. And that's why I love this kid. He's awesome. One of the things that really impressed me, speaking to that effort to put himself out there and and really relate to the fans, was his frank discussion of contracting coronavirus, what that was like for him. He handled that super well for a guy who, until a few months ago, we had nicknamed the very large teenager. I mean, he's so young and he's got a lot to learn. He is nowhere near the finished product. We've seen him miss plenty of chances this year. He's got a lot of things he needs to work on. That said, he's already a pretty good player just for what he is now. And you can tell that he is working so hard to improve. He's only going to get better. And especially when he's working under the tutelage of a guy like, say, Franck Ribéry, I think it's pretty easy to see that happening, right? Absolutely. So we're going into Franck here. Is this the moment that we all get to shine? Just just thinking about the career this guy has had and the fact that he is bringing his fabulous career, his prowess, his celebrity into Florence. So... I'll be honest, you know, when he first was being attached to the Fiorentina project last summer, I had some reservations. I wasn't sure what he would be able to bring or from a motivation standpoint, what a legend would want to do coming into a still building just made it past relegation Serie A team. Boy, was I wrong. There is no reservations. This guy has deserved all the money, despite missing quite a few games after a couple criminal tackles. 
that have put him out for months. The nice part that saved us, though, is that the games got pushed back and he had some more time to recover. So we get to see him play in a few more games, which delights us all. You, you talked about Vlahovic, but I know that Sotil, quite a few other people, Kwame, have talked about just what he brings from a coaching standpoint to this club and how important that is. What people need to be doing and the positions they need to be in, the training that they need to go through, as well as how you need to live your life as a professional. I mean, who has been put through the ringers more by the media than him. Say he deserved it or not, I don't want to go there, but you know he, he's had his life that he's lived in the, in the spotlight. We have another year of Franck Ribéry. I'm very excited to see what he's going to show the rest of this season and next season. I'd like for him to stay around in the city of Florence afterwards. That would be absolutely wonderful. He's made enough money. Just put some, some cash down on a flat in the city, get a villa outside, Spend some more time, bring your your fan base into uh, into the city and, and into Fiorentina. I'm with you. You can definitely go back and read some of the stuff I wrote on the site when we were first hearing that he was going to sign for Fiorentina. And I was not especially enthused either. I thought he was old and washed and looking for a paycheck. And he has definitely shown that is not his primary motivation. Getting sent off for going after the refs after a terrible performance, obviously. First of all, don't do that. That's terrible. Come on, man. But still, the passion, even at the age of 37, to go get in a referee's face and say, you messed that up, and just showing that passion, that attitude, watching him dismantle Milan was oh so pleasant. I'm really looking forward to watching him for the rest of this weird season. Yeah, he's back training. He seems as fit as he's likely to get, as any of these guys are likely to get. We've also heard a lot of rumors of him working as a number 10 and more of a 3-4-1-2. So that could be a really fun wrinkle to check out as well. I'm looking forward to it. Just seeing him mentor all of these guys, you could really see Castrovilli blossom early in the season as they got those very intricate passes in short spaces down. I'm so excited to see a bunch of these other attackers learn from him, and they could use it. For example, another 22-year-old forward, because Fiorentina is just stacking those up like Pringles. We can talk now about Patrick Cutrone. I've not quite been the season he wanted on the pitch. Nine appearances, mostly off the bench. Just the one goal in the Copa. On loan from Wolverhampton, what do you think? There's been some talk about him returning to England early. Do you think that's a good idea for him and for the club, or do you think he should stick around? I thought that this was messed up going back to the summer. Catrone was attached to this club back then. Theoretically, we would pay the same amount of money that we would have in the summer in January. He would have been somebody who would have benefited from a full year in one place, having him come to Florence, having him coach and grow with one club, that would have been the opportunity to, you know, have the yardstick and measure who Patrick Catrone is and, and who he can actually grow to be. I don't think it's his fault that he's in this situation at this point. I think it's uh, honestly a mess up of Daniele Prade. I think that this was something that if he was going to get it done in January, he should have got it done in, in July, and, and that was his mistake. So flash forward, here we are. He had a great first game 
where he came in, performed well. He's had a couple subpar games since then. Not bad performances, but, you know, certainly not somebody that is going to, in my opinion, replace Vlahovic. I think Vlahovic has actually picked up his game since Cutroni's come in. So it's actually done anything that Fiorentina would want it to do from that standpoint. Dead on that that the arrival of Cutrone seemed to really spur Vlaovic a little bit. I think too that in some ways Cutrone is not real well suited for the way that Fiorentina have been playing under Yakini, which requires the forwards to be incredible athletes, strong, fast, able to hold the ball up, able to run in behind and work the channels, able to create their own shots on the break. That's never been who Cutrone is. In terms of fit, it always felt like a weird deal. That said, I think he's a fantastically talented player. I think in a more possession-oriented approach, under a guy like Dezerbi maybe, where the striker's job is not so much running as knowing where to be and rounding off moves. He still has the potential to be a regular 15 to 20 goal striker in Serie A, especially right now when Fiorentina are going to have to rotate their forwards so much. And especially with guys like Frank Rivery and Gaetano Castrovilli and Ricardo Sotil and obviously Federico Chiesa pulling the strings behind him. This is really a great chance for him to prove to the club and to everyone watching that he belongs. And I hope he does because he just seems like a cool dude too. I like him very much. And that, that Wolves chant, he loves the pizza, he loves the pasta. It's so good, and I would love to hear that in Florence very much. So I referenced this a little bit earlier. Another 22-year-old striker for Fiorentina, Christian Kwame, who was, I think a lot of people have forgotten, when this season started, he was arguably the best young attacker in Italy. 11 appearances for Genoa. He had five goals and three assists, which is just crazy. Especially because Genoa is not a particularly attacking team. I mean, Ricardo Orsolini helps, but not a lot of other top quality talents there. And he was fantastic. It's also kind of fun that he has a lot of history in Tuscany. He played for Prato, came up through their youth system had loans at Sassuolo and at Inter before moving to Genoa. And so in some ways, returning to Florence feels like a homecoming for him. He's obviously been really excited, has the versatility to maybe play on the wing too, so he could conceivably fit into a bunch of different setups with any of these other strikers and attackers that we've mentioned. Are you as excited about Kwame as I am, Mike? Because I'm really excited. My eyes light up. Absolutely. After Amrabat, this was the guy that was most excited about. It's hard not to get even more excited as you hear him talk. Since he's been here, he's told us a little bit of insight as far as what went on behind the scenes. Right after the the transfer was made, Rocco gave him a call. Rocco told him that he personally wanted to bring him over here, and he was very impressed after the game, second game of the season, which was not a memorable one from a Fiorentina standpoint, yeah. uh, but going back to that game, you know, Rocco was very impressed. And, and it seems like from that moment, Rocco pointed at Christian and said, that's the guy I want. Probably the only way it would have worked out is if he did tear his a- ACL, he did have his value diminished. 
And then there was an opportunity for Fiorentina to go out, still pay a lot of cash, but bring him along, for lack of a bad phrase, limp him along, work him back into it. And uh, here we are. I'd say he's probably a couple weeks to a month away. He can potentially play this this season is what they're talking about, which is, is quite interesting. I don't think anyone of us would have thought that. And I'll say this last thing. Anybody who says they want to play and be like Drogba is a player I want on my team. Yes. Didier Drogba is such a cool dude. All of his work off the field. I mean, the man ended a civil war one time by being Didier Drogba. I'm not saying Christian Kwame is going to do that ever because only one person is capable of ending a civil war by being Didier Drogba. I really do think that Kwame has the potential to get to that level. He's so talented, physically fast, strong. I'm pretty sure he could touch the top of a backboard and make change. He's great on the ball. Really, really good first touch for a big dude. Knows where to be. Knows how to shoot. And also just seems like he's having a great time. Mm-hmm. Like you, You've got to love the guys who just seem like they're having fun playing a game. And Kawame is one of those guys. Always seems like he's doing great. Is his deal an obligation to buy, or does he have to meet certain clauses? I'm guessing it's just a straight obligation, because due to his injury, no one could have expected him to play. But now I can't remember. I, I think that he does have to meet certain clauses, but I cannot imagine Fiorentina will not purchase him, even if he doesn't. He's going to be here, and he should be here. So I think in a lot of ways, he is far and away the most complete striker on the roster. Coming back from that cruciate ligament injury is always dicey for anyone. Yeah. But it's not as hard to do as it used to be. And I really think that Kwame, probably not as much this year, but next season is going to tear stuff up. And I'm so excited to see him do it. Vlahovic and Kwame together. Oh, exciting. that is a horrifying prospect for every defense in Italy, and it pleases me quite a bit. Ricardo Sotil also pleases me, not just because he is absurdly handsome, but also because he is an outrageously talented player. The stats don't show it as much this year. Only 15 appearances, mostly off the bench, one assist. But I think a lot of that is because of how he was used, especially under Montella, who tried to reshape him as a wingback, which failed miserably. As Jeremy Boga just tore him apart poor guy which is exactly what happens when you give a 20 year old at that time his first start in a new position against a fantastic opponent in boga but sotil is also incredibly talented he is second in the league in times fouled per 90 minutes four and a half he's a demon with the ball at his feet always looking to make something happen It's a shame that under Yakini, that sort of winger who stays wide and causes chaos out there by the touchlines isn't really as necessary. But there's no doubt that Sotil's crazy talented. Signed his extension in January. That'll keep him in Florence through 2024, plus a team option for another year. Do you think that he's going to be able to really reach his peak in this version of Fiorentina? Or do you think that things are going to have to change for that to happen. It's interesting how oftentimes we go into a conversation about one thing and then based off of a comment, you know, there's a pivot. And, and that pivot was talking about Beppe and his tactics 
and whether it fits. We talked about Deserby and, and different coaches potentially replacing Beppe. And why I think that that is so prevalent has nothing to do with Beppe as a coach of this club. I think he's actually doing very good. I think it has to do with the tactics, and I think it has to do with the personnel that Fiorentina have and the strengths that they need to be moving towards. Sotil needs to be getting back into a place of comfort. Besides being your hair brother, before he got his hair cut, I think if it wasn't for Federico Chiesa, Sotil would be the next winger that had uh, a view for the Italian National Club. I think that he would be getting a lot more run, and that a lot more run would, would get him a lot more notoriety and opportunity towards Italy. I think his talent is honestly that good. He's just not getting the playing time. And, and that happens. He's still young. He'll have the opportunity. I think there probably will be a coaching change. The coaching change will be going towards something that will, again, highlight the, the talent that is on our, our team right now. And that would only benefit somebody like Sotil. So next year, he'll be at the club. He'll be getting some more time. He'll only benefit from playing behind a guy like Ribery. And that's going to make us all happy as Fiorentina fans moving forward. You heard it here. Mike and Tito, Ricardo Sotil. 2021, it's going to happen. Come on, come come on, Ricardo. Ricky, let's do an interview. Please, just so we can gaze deeply into your eyes on this Zoom call. I would like that. No shame here. I'll always ask for them. A guy who's maybe not quite as magnetic, but also plays in that same position on the right wing, is Rashid Gitzal, on loan from Leicester, 28 years old. I didn't realize this. He's made 12 appearances for the club on the year, which... I thought he had about four. He's got one assist, given it was against Cittadella in the Copa. There's not much to say about him. He feels like the definition of replacement level to me. There's just nothing about him that stands out. I'll show you, Tito. You know, right there is my note and what it says on Gitzel. If Gitzel gets more of Sotil's minutes, I will be pissed. So those 12 games that he was playing... Those minutes should have been Sotil's. Yes. That angers me very, very much. And it angers me going back to the transfer window. I thought January was a great transfer window. I thought the summer transfer window was definitely not. A lot that needed to be done differently during that time. I get it. It was new. Rocco came in, had to put in place the pieces to make the moves. But we definitely fell flat. And this was one of those where I thought it was a forced transfer that did not need to be done. I don't know him. I'm sure he's a very nice person, but he's taking away Sotil's minutes, and that should not be the case. Sotil should be playing, gets all, will play out his time, hopefully, and then transition back to uh, everyday life in, in England. I honestly have not been very impressed with Gitzal. I know that he had a fantastic year in France, what, 2017, 2018, I guess? But that was kind of as the third fiddle behind some other very good attackers. He's been a ghost in Leicester. The Foxes fans have not really liked him. And I can kind of see why. He's very one-footed. He always tries to come inside. And he holds the ball too long. Yeah, if you're going to have a winger who holds the ball too long and tries to make too much happen and fails, make it your superstar, incredibly talented, very handsome, Mm -hmm. young Academy product instead of a guy who's 28 and doesn't have a future at the club. I don't understand that. Obviously, we don't see what happens in training. Maybe it gets all fulfills 
a certain set of instructions very well. I don't understand it. Another guy I don't understand is Cyril Terrio. 37 years old. He is three weeks younger than Frank Ribéry, and I think that's all I can say about Cyril. You got anything, Mike, on this one, or should we just kick this can down the road? This is this is a Cristoforo situation. Now, I mean, I, I honestly just don't like him. I don't like what he did with a camera. I don't like the fact that he stayed in Florence when Florence tried to offer him loans elsewhere. He just wanted to sit there, get cash off of a very bad contract, and that's it. So I'm not normally very vocal from a negative standpoint, but this is one of those guys where I'm going to be happy once he leaves. Yeah, he can take those stupid crab hands and head on down the road. I'd give him 50 cents for the bus myself. Yeah. So we're going to move on to the players who are on loan now, and that probably has to start with another mystery man. seems like Fiorentina has a lot of those this year but perhaps none more mysterious than Pedro, another striker who is 22 years old. Again, <laughs> there is a theme. Yep. He had four appearances for Fiorentina, all off the bench, scoreless, didn't really play much. Since he joined Flamengo, it's on a loan with an option. He's made nine appearances, scored three goals, some of them quite good and in crucial moments, but also on a stacked Flamengo team. He's mostly been playing off the bench recently. And we're hearing that he might come back to Florence. What is happening, Mike? Give me some sort of guidance in this crazy world. How could Pedro come back? Well, there's no guidance here. At this point, it seems like it's all circumstances as a result of COVID. So everybody knows Brazil is not handling COVID very well at all. And there's a lot of financial ramifications that come along with that. So it costs 1 million euro to retain that loan through the next phase before there is an option to purchase him. Flamengo is having a very hard time coming up with that million, 1 million euros. If they do not, there's an opportunity for Pedro to come back. What does that mean? I'm sure it means another loan for him. This goes back to, again, a very, very weird summer transfer for the club. But it seems like Pedro, who did not have the opportunity to shine, I remember being at practice, taking pictures, taking some videos, watching him. He was moving very well. I, I remember asking the staff, and, and there was still a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, he's still a couple of weeks away. He needs some time. There just was not a comfort level at the club that he was going to fit in Serie A. And that's what I think it comes down to. Since he's been back in Brazil, and normally I turn to you for the, the pronunciations, the Recopa Sudamerican, the 86th minute, he had a goal to see Flamenco, a 2-1 victory in the first leg. So, you know, he's had, as you mentioned, several goals that have seemed to be very opportunistic and, and helped to bring about the lore again of who Pedro is. And I'd love for that to happen because whether it's going to be Flamenco or somebody in the future, I do believe that we'll be able to recoup our money because I still believe he's a very good talent. He just needs to find the right fit. You know what it is that's really making him look good in Flamengo. He's playing in front of Gerson, and all Viola fans know that any striker who plays in front of Gerson is going to shine. Yes. yes. From a personal standpoint, my grandfather is from Rio and grew up supporting Flamengo. He hated them, but he also supported them all the way through his life and passed a little of that to me. So I hope that it works out for him and for them for that reason. But this whole saga is just so complex. I can't make head or tail of it. Honestly, I just want it to end one way or another and have some sort of resolution. 
whether that's him in Florence, him in Rio, him in Sydney, him in Jakarta, him somewhere else entirely. I'm not even that fussed anymore. I just want him to be somewhere and know what's going on. One of the themes for this episode seems like it's weird summer transfers. And I wouldn't say that Kevin Prince Boateng was the weirdest summer transfer. Even at 33 years old, he remains a very talented player, a wealth of experience in Serie A and in pretty much any other league you can name. Not a great stint for him, though, in Tuscany. Five appearances, one goal. Although that goal was spectacular against Napoli. Moved to Besiktas in the winter market. Seems like a great move. He's been very good there. Two goals in his seven appearances. Sounds like he and the club have agreed that uh, that loan will extend through next year. And then he'll go ahead and sign with them. And he seems happy with it. And I'm glad because Kevin Prince Boateng's an awesome dude. Very smart, very well-spoken, has a lot of cool things to say. I'm sorry it didn't work for him in Florence, but I'm happy it's working for him somewhere else. There's nothing else that I would add other than he seems like a great person down the road, hopefully again, like Sotil. We would love to interview you. Come on, tell us all about your experience in Florence and with Fiorentina. Oh, man, yeah. We'll even uh, play the rap videos that he's made. I will listen to them and ask him questions about it dead on. He just seems like such a smart guy. And I think he would be a great person to talk to about soccer and other stuff. Opposite end of the age spectrum from the Prince is Tofol Montiel, 20 years old, had a little bit of an up and down year in Florence before he moved out, but is now, yeah, Vittoria, or sorry, how do you say that? Vittoria Stubal, Stubal, Stubal. I just said my grandfather's from Rio, and now I can't say anything in Portuguese. Sorry, guys. It hasn't been great for him over there. He's only made four appearances, mostly out on the wing, all off the bench, gotten a couple of yellow cards. But again, he was great for the Primavera this year. He's clearly too good for the youth level. Had those two assists against Monza and the Copa for Vlaovic that were superb. He signed through 2023. Maybe not this year. It's going to happen for him. Do you think next year, or is he still another year away? I I think I'm going to go against the grain here and say that at this point, other than Montiel being the greatest passer to Dusan Vlahovic ever, um, (laughs) it is starting to scare me. I know he has come in with a lot of promise. I think that Fiorentina has mismanaged him. I think that they listened to the player a little bit and placated to him by bringing him up to the first team where he just sat on the bench last year. He did get into a couple Primavera games and really helped us down down the stretch, but he needed a lot more playing time. He also needs somebody to take his body seriously and help him grow. And maybe nobody's doing it. Maybe they are. I'm not sure, but it's not having any impact. So again, I'm going to go against the grain. I know that in Florence and on our message boards, there is more Montiel love than probably for any other young player that could potentially come up through the ranks. But I am worried that he will ever get to that promise. I'm worried that he'll ever play meaningful minutes in the city of Florence. And I'm worried that he may not develop into the promise that he has today. There I said it. Oh, Mike, now that you've said that, I'm worried for you. The commenters are going to come after you, man. Yeah. 
release my address. I do agree with you. I think that he still has the chance to come good, although I also am a little bit worried about that. He hired as an agent fairly recently, Damir Smolyan, who represents a bunch of big name, big money players, notably Leroy Sané and anyone who's been following Manchester City and Bayern of late knows how he's really dragged that out and tried to make something happen. Again, that's his job as an agent, is to do what he thinks is best for his client. I'm not criticizing that. But from the team's perspective, you wonder, if this guy isn't ready to contribute right now, is it worth the trouble of having him try to force his way out like Giannis Hagi did, say, who I think is a fairly comparable player in a lot of ways? I don't know. I feel like there's just so much mystery around Montiel. I would absolutely Venmo him four pounds of steak to eat every day if that meant he could beef up. Do do people still drink creatine? Is that still a thing? Is that aging me? I don't know. I'm pretty sure that creatine ages you a little bit. Yeah, I don't think it can be good for you. (laughs) Yeah. Another unbelievably skinny young attacker is Rafik Zeknini, who spent the past two years at 20, helped them win promotion from the Dutch second division last year, and was really quite good. A little bit less impressive this year, sadly. 24 appearances back in the Eredivisie, just two goals, one assist, a couple of cards. He's mostly been off the bench as an impact sub, so those numbers aren't as bad as they look. But it's a little bit of a bummer for a guy who joined back in 2017 from odds for 1.5 million. It's Matt Hummels, right, in that video after odds and Dortmund played in the, was it the Champions League or the Europa League? He's he's talking about Zagnini and someone says, he's 18, and Hummels stops and stares at them and goes, what the? And just turns around and walks <laughs> away. Zagnini's a talented player. Also just stupid fast. I bet he's the fastest guy on the team in a straight line. And he's clearly grown in the Netherlands. But it's it's hard to see if he's really going to be a Fiorentina player ever. His contract runs through 2022. Do you see any room for him in Tuscany next year? Honestly, probably not. But I do go back to when he first came over. I, I remember him getting a lot of playing time right away. You know, just trying to see what he looked like. And and uh, I remember him on the sides running like a gazelle, long legs, long strides, just fast. And everybody got excited. Everybody started thinking that this was a, a player who would who would turn into something. Just hasn't happened. And that doesn't mean that it won't happen. And it won't mean that he couldn't be a player on the bench here at, at Fiorentina because he probably could. But I, I just have a feeling he's probably better served not in Serie A. I think that's a pretty good assessment which is a bummer i was very excited about the big z when he signed too another guy i'm excited about though and perhaps the only player in this list who is more handsome than ricardo sotil a guy who was his partner in crime for the primavera for years 61 appearances for the primavera 35 goals 10 assists along with eight yellow cards and two sendings off because you got to have a little bit of an edge when you're that good looking. Gabriele Gori, oh, so handsome in that. I'm going to let this to you. You you need this moment, so you go for it, bud. I may need a little bit of time alone. Anyways, uh, he signed through 2021, had a pretty rough year last year, 
out on loan, had to switch clubs and drop down to Serie C. Been a lot better this year. Still in the third tier with Arezzo, mm-hmm. but 21 appearances, nine goals, two assists, five caps and two goals for the under-21 international side. He's really started to show up of late, scored three in a row for the break. Has dealt with some injuries this year, but he's just a big, strong dude. Likes to bully defenders physically, knows where to be. Finally starting to find his finishing boots. And something else that I think is interesting for his long-term prospects in Florence is that this year he's playing in a front two and has been fantastic. I don't think that means that he's going to break into the first team next year by any stretch. I think he definitely still needs a year or two. He's pretty raw. If the club is going to keep playing this 5-3-2 or 3-5-2, having strikers who are capable of playing in a partnership, which a lot of guys don't learn how to do now, that's a big thing and means that maybe he could have a future at the club. I really want him to. And if not, he can always go be in movies because, oh, that chiseled jawline and those perfectly, perfectly coiffed hairs. Another 21-year-old striker, another guy who I thought was going to be a superstar for Fiorentina, Martin Greitziar. Oh, a little bit of a letdown, kind of like David Hansko, both at Sparta Praha. Do you have any clue what's gone wrong for him there, Mike? No, 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 to be honest. I think that he came in also with uh, a lot of promise. People were hopeful. But going back to the approach from transfer window standpoint, just a couple of years ago, we didn't go out and buy first-team players. We went out and we bought a whole bunch of young players all over Europe, tried to breed them into something that would eventually become first-team players. It just didn't always work the way that we had hoped it to work, and this could be just another situation of it. You know, Hopefully not. I, I don't see him coming back to the club, though. I, I think he'll have a, a, a career outside of Serie A, certainly outside of Florence. I don't see it coming back here. Yeah, which is a shame because he's a really talented player, I think. Most of the problem is the way that team is constructed. He's stuck behind Adam Hlocek, who's maybe the best Czech teenager around right now. Benjamin Tete, who's got experience with Bayern Munich. Libor Kozak, who's played all over the place and has a boatload of caps for Czechia. I think also the fact that Greitzer broke his collarbone for the second time in two years pretty recently is not helping his case. But you know what his real problem is? Is that he's a center forward and he's wearing number six. And that is simply impermissible. If we could just get him into like a number 20, maybe 21, 18, I bet he turned it around. I don't know if, if Sparta is going to buy him at the end of the year. They could. But if not, I think you're right. I don't think he's going to be a Fiorentina player. Another guy who's been a little bit of a disappointment this year, Marco Melli, 20 years old at Gubbio on loan in his first stint away from the Primavera, 15 appearances and just the one goal. Mostly been on the bench. Also been playing some at central midfield, despite being more of a winger by trade. Formed the third part of that fantastic Primavera attack with Sotil and Gori, but was always definitely the third man. Do you think he's got what it takes for this next level, or do you think he's going to be more of a Serie B kind of guy? I think that he'll be a Serie B kind of guy. I think that he will get uh, an opportunity to come up to Serie A, but that's going to be the opportunity. You know, let him go, learn the trade down there, hopefully have some bright, shining moments and bring a club up. He's got the talent with the ball at his feet. There's just, he's got so much growing to do. 
is our resident Primavera expert, Mike, that I'd like to hear your take on Josip Magan Maganich? Maganich? Sorry, Croatia. Also on loan at Istra back in his home country. Only five appearances, played under 15 minutes in all of them. I remember thinking that he was going to be a star back when he joined Fiorentina. But for the Primavera, only 13 goals and 10 assists and 72 appearances. Always seemed to be miscast as a winger after coming in as a striker. Did I just get my hopes up about him for no reason? Or is he really just been miscast? I'll go back to what I said earlier as far as uh, Fiorentina's approach in, in the previous regime. Going out with that 500,000 euro to 1.5 million euros and going out and just buying a whole bunch of young players across of Europe. That was a shining example. There's a lot of players that we've gotten excited about over the years that just didn't work out. And then again, no fault of his own, but I don't think that he'll have any meaningful minutes inside of the city of Florence. Well, let's go ahead and move into someone a little bit more interesting in terms of city of Florence. And that is Fiorentina's first English player since Micah Richards in 2015. I think he's the first English player to ever play for the Primavera, in fact. Mike, what is going on with Bobby Duncan? Well, if I could answer that question, I think that our podcast would have a whole lot more listeners to it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll speak with what I'm more familiar with. I got to meet Bobby back in, in October. This was the, the day after I took a wine tour through all of Tuscany and went out and, and hung out in Santo Spirito till all hours, and then took a very uncomfortable cab ride all the way out to Fiasole to watch the training. And let me just say, I think I showed up in better shape. So uh, it, it was an interesting <laughs> moment. Um, <laughs> got out there. Bobby was the nicest, nicest guy that he could have ever been to me. I'm very thankful for what he did, but it was just an awkward situation. You know, you can hear that there was some dissent between him and the leadership of the Primavera. They weren't happy that he showed up about an hour and a half late to to training and to the interview, but it gave me the opportunity to do the interview after practice. So it actually worked out in my benefit because I stayed for the entire practice. I was on the field taking some candid pictures with, with the players. I had a great experience. And uh, then afterwards went in and, and talked to Bobby. Bobby has a reputation in all of Europe, in England, now in, in Florence, as I don't know if it's necessarily a bad boy, but just somebody who, who is very vocal about his opinions. I thought he was a very nice young man. Uh, we had a great conversation. He was as respectful to a stranger to me, young star in, in all of, of European football, being very respectful and, and yes, sir, no, sir, the, you know, all of that. First of all, it made me feel very old, but uh, <laughs> he, he was just very polite. And I was, I was caught off guard by that. But also just the, the experience I had with him showing up very late and, and the tone he took with some of the, the staff there was just, it was unusual. Then flash forward, the next time I came back into Florence, uh, it was from going from October into December. So a month and a half later, I came back and I was at the Primavera game that I've talked about uh, several times. He was nowhere to be found. And I asked, you know, where is he? Well, he's now playing with the first team. There, there was a lot of confusion as far as what that meant. 
because his play didn't necessarily equate to earning the first team. It sounds like he kind of pushed for getting to practice and, and sit on the bench with, with the, the first team at the games there. And since then, nobody really knows what's going on. We know that there was attempts to move him in the January transfer window. Probably would have been the best for everybody. A couple of things fell, fell out. But in the end, I'll, I'll just say this. I, I thought he was a very nice young man. He was very cordial to me. Gave a, a lot of very open and honest interviews. Took a lot of pictures. I, I was very appreciative of all the experience he gave. So that, that was pretty much it. Yeah, you know, I wonder how much of his attitude issues are based around his agent, Saif Ruby, who, as far as I can tell, again, I've never met the dude, but just seems like a really miserable person, has said some truly shockingly awful things about other human beings, has gone to the media and seems to have no real understanding of the scale of his own influence or of his clients which is not good. I worry a lot that people like that are blowing a bunch of smoke into Bobby's orifices that probably doesn't need to be blown there. Yeah. I mean, you kind of got to love an Englishman in Italy. There's something very romantic about that going back to the roots of Calcio. I mean, they still call the coaches Mr. for a reason, right? Yeah. You know, he's obviously a talented player, you know, five caps, four goals at U19 level very well regarded as a prospect, but you worry he's one of those guys who's going to talk himself out of a job a little bit or let his and agent. That's where I think we're at. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that's where we're at. So Bobby Duncan was the man we thought would lead the Primavera in scoring this year. Instead, it's been Christian Kofi, who is not even really an out and out striker. He's definitely more of a winger in his 24 appearances. He's got five goals, four assists, and he's been the captain six times as well. Big step up for a young guy who hadn't been in the setup for that long, would you say, Mike? Yeah, he's been very impressive. Silky smooth out on the fields. I've seen him in quite a few practices. I've seen him in games. He always has a lot of energy, very positive. The teammates seem to rally around everything that he's doing, and, and why shouldn't they? Here's a kid that came to Fiorentina shutting down. Rumors that he was, uh, you know, going to, to Liverpool. So anytime that you have a kid who's going to come here over going to Anfield, I appreciate that. Uh, and he's coming from Monaco. So, you know, he's one of those youth that's coming up through the Monaco systems and certainly had the opportunity to play with a lot of other players that everybody wants to build their careers uh, in, in their likeness. So, you know, I think that he has a lot of opportunity with this club in the future. He's another one where I think as you're looking at him, the eyeball test, he needs to potentially add a little bit of pounds, but he is getting a lot of comparisons to a guy like Sadio Mane. So in my opinion, there's a lot of opportunity for him to get to this club probably in another year or so. Absolutely. And don't forget, he even made an appearance with the senior team last year, very, very briefly. So he is clearly, if not at that level, then pretty close. A guy who might not be quite as close is someone who was supposed to pick up some of the slack from Bobby Duncan's absences, Nino Kukovic. He's 19 years old, big, big traditional target man kind of striker, Slovenian U19 international, paid 700,000 euros for him from Maribor this summer. So he was a fairly significant investment, maybe because the rest of the Primavera have also had a very underwhelming season. 
he has been pretty dire, if I'm being honest. In 21 appearances, he has just one goal, which is not what you want from that sort of big number nine finisher. Do you have any idea if it's just the team context or if it's something else? I do believe that uh, service is lacking. And anytime that you have somebody like Kofi leading the team in scoring, I think that that shows it. You know, Kofi's a guy who can create goals on his own. He's a good dribbler. He's fast. He's quick. He can beat his opponent. So when service is lacking, then there's an opportunity for players like Kofi to shine more so than a Kukovic. I think that Kukovic can probably use another year or so uh, here at the the Primavera, and then we'll see where, where things go afterwards. Yeah, that's fair. Always an adjustment coming to a new country with a new language for a player, especially a teenager. When, yeah, you're that big, not especially mobile kind of striker who won't make his own shot. You are kind of relying on everyone else. Guy who's been a little bit more impressive, I think, is Samuel Espaluto. Just 20 appearances, many of them off the bench, but he's got four goals and two assists. 19 years old, he's really starting to show something. He's come all the way up through the academy ranks. There's a little bit of buzz starting to build around him, wouldn't you say? I like this kid. I really do. I know going into the season, his name wasn't mentioned with some of the other guys that have come over and, and cost quite a bit of money, Fiorentina spending it outside of, uh, outside of Italy. But practices that I've been at, and I'll go back to the game where I was able to be a photographer and a videographer on the field. He had a great game, scored. He has an aggression out on the field that most people do lack, and you love to see in a forward. Like, he literally just wants to go and run over people, get that ball, and put it in the net. And as soon as he puts it in the net, he wants to grab the ball and go do the same thing again. I really do like him. I I try to find out how tall he was. I couldn't find that. But he's a big guy, not only tall. He already has shoulders that, you know, you can tell he's more mature physically than his age would indicate. I I did have an opportunity to interview him post-game. I didn't say anything. He doesn't understand Italian, but I I got to film it, which was a pretty cool experience. We put it on our Twitter, so, you know, everybody can go and take a look at that, probably back in the October timeframe. Really exciting young player. Sounds like he could be Fiorentina's answer to, to maybe not quite Andrea Pitania, but at least to that big, rugged number nine we haven't seen in Florence in a really long time. Definitely needs some more seasoning. I wouldn't be shocked if he wound up being one of those long-term contributors who's always on the bench, but always a useful plan B. Yeah, I'd like to see him stay in the Primavera for one more year. He is 19, so there's nothing wrong with keeping somebody there at the age of 20. He's still developing. I think that, you know, to be honest, his attitude has brought him to be more of an upshot than probably his skill set was. He still needs some some training, some some opportunities with individualized coaching. Keep him here in Florence. Give him that opportunity. After another year with the Primavera, let him then go out and, and make his bones in Serie C, Serie B. And with that, we have wrapped up the Strikers, but don't go yet. We have one more feature for you after this. So the big news, of course, for Fiorentina fans is that Fiorentina will actually be playing a game again on this Saturday, which feels crazy. I am not even sure I remember how to write game coverage. So it might be a little rocky on the site. Sorry about that. But what we're going to do right now is preview their opponent's Brescia. So let's start out with Brescia. Not been a great year for them, has it, Mike? They're in last place, just 16 points so far. They've scored 22 goals, 
they're averaging the fewest shots per game in the league, the most fouls, the least possession. They've allowed the second most goals and the second most shots. It's basically just been miserable for them, hadn't it? And it didn't get any better after the pandemic. You know, this was one of those clubs that had a lot of news out there, whether they wanted to return to the field or not. Many of their players have actually come out publicly and said that they don't. To be honest, I think even their their owner has come out publicly and said that that he's against restarting uh, Serie A. Now, I don't know if that's part because he's hoping if they don't restart, they'll keep Brescia up in Serie A next year or if he actually believes that it's just not the right situation for restarting football in Italy. Not sure what that that looks like. But yeah, there's definitely some people at the club within the ranks there that just aren't happy on the field and off of the field. It really has just been a little bit of chaos for them. They actually fired their coach in early February. Eugenio Corini, who'd brought them up from Serie B, replaced him with Diego Lopez, who is sort of a journeyman coach, not really had that bounce effect as much. They drew their first match against Udinese, but then they've lost at Juve uh, against Napoli and then got hammered by Sassuolo last time out. Uh, He mostly plays with a 4-3-1-2-ish shape, but he's also tried out a 4-4-1-1. But I'm I'm guessing it'll be more of a midfield three with that he'll set up. Also having a new manager means that the last time means that the last time that Brescia played against Fiorentina back in October Ended as a scoreless draw, although a VAR review did take away a Florian IA goal after a fantastic Tonali run. That game was just really bad and boring. I'm guessing we'll get something similar here, even with the new manager and some very different personnel. Is that your take as well, Mike, or do you think we could actually be in for something fun? Me personally, I'm hopeful with the Trident up front with the uh, Ribery back, Chiesa. And, and probably Vlahovic will see a little bit more run going forward, which should hopefully stretch the field. Obviously, our back line, I think, is going to be able to keep Russia at bay. So now it's going to turn into a game of midfield. Can our midfield provide the service that we need to uh, connect moving forward to get some of these goals? With one, I think one turns into quickly two. And this could be a three-goal game easily if we do score the first goal early in the game. You're exactly right. Russia are going to really sit very, very deep, look to play exclusively on the counter, and pretty much, I think, play through Tonali and let him set things up because he has been fantastic, such a good player. Definitely not the new Andrea Pirlo. He's much more physical, as we saw from that run from midfield where he beat about four or five Viola players and bounced off of tacklers and just kept on going. The other standout for them, I think, this year has been their right back, Alessandro Sabelli, who's been fantastic going forward and providing width in their very narrow formations. He's always up the pitch. He's a good crosser of the ball. Great work rate. That said, he does leave some space in behind, so it should be very interesting to see if Dalbert wants to stay a little higher up or if Vlaovic or Chiesa or Ribery really starts drifting out to that left flank to try and take advantage of that. I think that it really is, for Fiorentina defensively, all about getting bodies on Tonali, forcing him to release the ball quickly instead of playing those long ones over the top. Another interesting point that I think you have to talk about with Brescia now is Mario Balotelli, because everyone always talks about Mario Balotelli, right? He And, and this time for good reason. Now, this just sounds like a mess. Mm-hmm. 
started out very well for him, returning to his hometown club, lots of love and happiness between them. And that ended pretty quick. He had some injury issues and seemed to really grate on some of the ownership and the management. Recently was refused to allow to enter training with the rest of his teammates. Turned away at the training ground. There was video of it. It's actually kind of sad and embarrassing for everyone. Uh, he is now claiming that the club refused to test him for coronavirus so that he could resume training. The club has responded by terminating his contract, and they are now planning to sue him and his agent, Mino Raiola, for slander. So this is just a mess. The upshot is, obviously, no Balotelli going to be on the pitch for Brescia. Up top, it'll probably be Florian Aie, who's an interesting player, very quick, athletic. He did score that one that got ruled out afterwards against Fiorentina and had another decent chance with a header, but hes I think he hasn't even scored in Serie A this season. So not exactly prolific. It'll be Alfredo Donnarumma or Ernesto Torregrosa next to him in that attacking two. Not really a group where you're worried the goals are going to fall out of him. I think it's telling that John Chancellor, their center back, is their third leading scorer. I'm not very convinced that they're going to offer much of a threat. I think it will be entirely on the midfield to create things. And so I think that means Ribery and Castrovilli and Alfred Duncan especially are going to be crucial here. This is definitely going to be a game where they're talking about parking the bus and Brescia should. You know, we could probably have an hour discussion on Mario Balotelli in and of itself. And that's <laughs> one that I think would both be entertaining and useless at the same time. But, you know, as far as going into to this game, I think the way we're going, we have to be moving forward. We have to be quick. And there's one benefit coming into this game for that. We have five substitutions that are available and we have a pretty good deep bench in comparison to Brescia. So let's get them moving. Let's get them tired. Let's find opportunities to find holes to, to put that ball in the net. And with that first one, we'll come many more because then they're going to have to change formations a little bit. So get them moving, go forward. We have a lot of speed. We have a lot of depth. I'd love to see Ricky Sotil coming in there as well. Sotil is the right call. He was superb against Brescia in a very limited cameo. He won, I think, three fouls in 10 minutes and just absolutely bamboozled uh, Bruno Martella at left back. What I'm really interested to see is if Beppe Yakini trots out the usual 5 3 2. I think that he will have to push the wingbacks, Paul Lirola and Dalbert, higher to pin back the opposite fullbacks. And that should really give Fiorentina a lot more width, especially if it is a front two. And that will allow Chiesa and likely Vlaovic a lot more freedom to drift around, either pull wide and combine with the wingbacks or drop deep or stay high up and try to beat the line or hold off a man. I think you made another good point, though, that if Franck Ribéry is healthy, does he start? And if he does start, do you use him as a, as a number 10 behind the strikers? Or do you push him out wide and go with a real 3-4-3 setup, which I've heard that Fiorentina have been working on in training. The problem going 3-4-3, of course, is that then you're short a man in central midfield, and that could make it tougher to stick really tight to Tonali and take him out of the game. I feel like knowing that 
Yakini is a very defensively minded coach will probably be his top priority. How do you think that's going to shake out, Mike? Listen, I'm, I'm certainly not in the mind of Bet Bay here. What I would love to see is for us to start with a trident. So that right then is, is saying that we're going out with a three, top three. Vlahovic, Chiesa, Ribery. The next question then, and it could be either from a system, what do you want to roll out tactically, or what personnel do you want in the game? Do you want to go three, three, four, three, four, three? And in that scenario, you're talking about, do we want to start Caceres, or do we want to start Pulgar? That's really what we're going to be discussing. And, and which one fits better? I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I think that I'll leave that up to you in, in that analysis of are we better off rolling out with the top three that we've already talked about and now having four people in the midfield with Pulgar there? Or are we better off changing things around, shifting it? I, what are your thoughts? In a lot of ways, playing three across the front with two wingers and a striker makes a lot more sense. Ribery, obviously, immensely talented player. But coming in off of a long injury layoff, playing a position he's not super familiar with anyways. And then also because Brescia will be playing so deep and so compact, I don't think there will be a lot of space between the lines for him to find pockets of space and then turn just because there are going to be so many guys in that central zone. So to me, it makes a lot more sense to push him out to the wing and that will have the knock-on effect of either pinning Sabelli back because he'll be scared to go forward and leave Ribery in that space, or we'll put him in that space if Sabelli goes forward, because let's be honest, Bronk isn't tracking back too much, and neither should he. So yeah, I would love to see that front three in that particular, uh, what would that be, a delineation, I guess? It's cool, I have an English degree, I can speak this language. <laughs> but that's also such a far cry from what Yakini has ever done. He's always been a striking partnership kind of guy and I'm with you I cannot see what's going on in that mind under that ball cap I can just give you my absolutely amateur half-baked guesses and opinions and so that's what I'm doing here well are we at least in agreement and it sounds like we are that this team coming out of a pandemic for the first time in a while with Ribery available he has to start we need to have that leadership up top I definitely agree with that. I think he's the kind of player who is capable of unlocking that deep defense. Yeah, otherwise it's going to be a midfield three of Pulgar, Duncan, and Castrovilli, which is excellent, but Castrovilli is the only one who really starts to unlock that deep defense with his dribbling. Ribéry can do it with his passing and with his dribbling, and I think that having someone who's that incisive is really important. If Fiorentina get that goal, I think he probably comes off at the half and you bring in yeah. someone like Ricky Sotil, who is better at attacking that space in behind. Again, this is just my opinions, what makes sense to me. Fiorentina are always kind of bad coming out of breaks. And coming out of this break where nobody knows how fit anyone is or what the completely empty Franchi is going to be like and how that will impact things. This is such a hard game to predict. There's no way to know. I mean, it could be that Brescia come out super amped up because they know this is their last little stab at Serie A glory, something that we've called the Dimitri effect on the blog after a longtime commenter. Teams near the bottom at the end of the season suddenly become really tough opponents because their players are playing for new contracts in the top tier. 
and to keep the team up. While conversely, teams solidly in the mid table, hello Fiorentina, who have nothing left to really play for. They're not going down, but they're not really going to play in Europe either. Sometimes they can kind of switch off. I don't think that's as much of an issue when Beppe is the boss, because I can't imagine him letting those guys switch off. I'm just imagining all the yelling, which is a lot of yelling. It's just so hard to predict. There's so many unknown factors in this that we cannot possibly figure out. I'm not sure I can even make a prediction. Having said that, Mike, what's your final score prediction? Mm, My final score prediction, I do believe because Brescia is all messed up right now. Their head is probably nowhere near this game. We do have an opportunity to drive forward, get that early first goal. So I will go 3-0. Who do you have scoring the goals? Chiesa, Vlahovic, and I'm going to throw in, because I'm hopeful, very, very hopeful, that Ricky Sotil will get some minutes and he'll be able to uh, capitalize on it. So all all three up top. Man, I like that. That sounds awesome. I am only about two-thirds as optimistic as you are, so I'm calling it a 2-0. With Fiorentina getting the breakthrough in the second half, Federico Chiesa is obviously your top pick to score pretty much no matter what. And I'll say he gets the first one, and then I'll say that Dusan Vlaovic has another on the break later on after that Fiorentina closed down the shop and see it out pretty comfortably. Yeah, I think the goals are going to come off of the break after that first one game's going to get stretched. So there's opportunity for us. Right. Actually, one, one last question here for you. Since, since we're talking about all the changes here, we have five substitutes. You and I both agree Ricky has to come off. Who would you like to see as the other four? Oh, man. That's a this is an interesting great, game. That's a great question. Let's see. If the game goes according to our carefully laid plans here, I think the guys I would really like to see are Igor, Lorenzo Venuti, Kevin Agudelo, and Patrick Cutrone. A cameo for Alexa Turtsich? Maybe, but that just seems so unlikely at this point. Go I think ahead. the players you picked are spot on. Uh, absolutely spot on. You know, we, we want to see what we can get out of some of these players, especially the youth. Cutrone would be nice to see what we can get out of him because there's a lot of speculation coming around. So as much as we're trying to get points, we're trying to get wins, I think, you know, this is also part of the season right now where, where if I'm Daniele Prade, I'm trying to see what I have in this squad going into next year. By the time the Mercado comes around, we need to start figuring out what the team looks like. That is probably the focus more than anything else. Fiorentina are solid. They're not going down, and they're not going to Europe. Right now, it really is just resetting for next year. The other thing about Agudelo that we should just throw out there real quick, he was interviewed recently, I think, by violanews.com. If I'm wrong there, I'm very sorry to have misattributed. But one of the things that he was asked was what sort of midfielder he saw himself as, and the answer was not at all what I expected. He name-dropped Andrea Pirlo. So he may see himself as more of a deep-lying creative player than that direct somewhere between an 8 and a 10 that we've thought he was. So that's very interesting to consider, and it makes sense. He wore number 6 for much of his career in Colombia. So let's keep an eye out for that. Agudelo as a new Pirlo. I am sort of intrigued. I think there's actually just a simpler explanation for that. I think that Kevin was actually listening to our podcast last week when Massimo was telling the story, right before he gave the answer to that question. You know, that's gotta be it what is it occam's razor definitely dictates that that is the simplest possible explanation 
So yeah, I'll buy it. You're right. I think that's all we have time for today. No interview, sadly. Didn't quite work out, but we should have someone back next time we do this. Another quick programming note, with the game starting back up at an alarmingly rapid clip, we're probably going to drop this back down to once every two weeks because, frankly, I don't think I got the bandwidth to handle a weekly podcast and two games a week. So we will see you next time after Fiorentina have played a few games. Yep, appreciate it, guys. Love all the uh, uh, listeners out there. Do want to sh- send a, uh, a note to ACCVC and ATF that we're all unified with you guys as you guys are going to uh, protest on Friday, showing your allegiance to Rocco with your march, uh, but I guess probably more specifically your, your scooter uh, parade through the streets of Florence. We're all with you. Uh, I got to say, as someone from the American South, the idea of the ATF on a scooter parade is one of the funniest (laughs) things I can imagine, because I still hear alcohol, tobacco, and firearms department instead of anything else for that acronym. Your your Texan colors are showing, definitely. All right, we should definitely end the podcast then before they come out even more. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Take care. Tito were the hosts of Viola Station. Tito also produced this episode. Our music is by Windchime Weather. Check them out at windchimeweather.bandcamp.com. Viola Station is a production of Viola Nation, which you can find, obviously, at violanation.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Viola Nation is part of the SB Nation Network. Forza Viola. Sports Social Podcast Network.